Hello everyone, welcome to the Anita Posho, a Bitcoin-only podcast. My guest today is Mike Peterson, the initiator of Bitcoin Beach. I'm sitting here in Hope House in El Sonte in El Salvador. I've been here for a week now and I will spend another week in El Sonte at the beautiful Pacific Beach. And I, I was in San Salvador in the last week because um, there was the Adopting Bitcoin conference and the La Bitconf conference. Two Bitcoin conferences um, open to the public one day so everybody could come by and ask questions. I was moderating a panel at Adopting Bitcoin about the Lightning Network and how it will enable content creators to earn Bitcoin through their work directly from customers or people like you. And on La Bitconf, I was able to do an interview on stage with Elizabeth Stark, the CEO of Lightning Network, uh, sorry, the CEO of Lightning Labs, of course. And uh, I also did a talk about the art of learning Bitcoin. You can find the links and the talk at anita.link slash start. And the other two videos, I will uh, share them on Twitter and on my YouTube channel. But now, let's come to the interview with Mike. Before, a short word from my sponsors and then to Mike. Enjoy. Ready to take your online business to the next level? Try accepting crypto for your goods and services. With Paxful, you can widen your reach to people all over the world and expand your business by giving your audience nearly 400 ways to pay. Additionally, with the power of the blockchain by your side, your transactions will be more secure than ever before. Elevate or build your business with Paxful Pay, the ultimate payment solution for all. Try it out now and watch your business grow before your very eyes. Go to anita.link slash Paxful Pay. Anita.link slash and then Paxful Pay. Learn Bitcoin will teach you the why and how to use Bitcoin. The masterful flow from one subject area to the next makes Bitcoin seem simple to explain. Michael Peterson, Bitcoin Beach, El Salvador. Order your copy now at learnbitcoin.link. That's learnbitcoin.link. Living on crypto is easier than you think with Bitrefill. Choose from over 4,000 gift cards and mobile top-up options from around the world. I used Bitrefill to top up my phone when I was visiting Zimbabwe. It was easy, worked like a charm, and I even earned sats back. Pay with Bitcoin, Lightning, Ethereum, Dash, Tether over Tron, and many more options. No account is necessary. Join the thousands of users around the world who are living on crypto today using Bitrefill. Join now at bitrefill.com and start earning sats back with each purchase. That's bit refill.com Did you know that leaving your keys on centralized exchanges is extremely risky? Not only are you giving up your privacy, but you also give up total control of your funds. The best time to take back control is now. Go to sovereign.app and never again ask for permission to use your money. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N dot app. Hello, Mike. Great to be here. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Anita. Uh, we're in the podcast studio of Hope House in El Sonte. Yeah, that's it's the only quiet place in El Sonte. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's nice, cool, and the the sound is brilliant here. 
Yeah, hope, hoping that uh, all the the podcasters in the Bitcoin space will uh, be able to visit this at some time. Yeah, and it's a great place to be here. I I'm swimming every day in the Pacific in the morning, and I hope I can take a surf lesson next week. Well, I'm glad you came back from the what was it two kilometers or four? How many how many kilometers did, did you <laughs> yeah, do? Yeah, we did a swimming. I I participated in the swimming contest here on Saturday. The local swimming yeah, contest. Yeah, I was impressed. <laughs> and I did the 1K. Okay, okay. So the amateur Yeah, uh, yeah. you distance, made it back. That was more than me. <laughs> I sat on the beach uh, and watched. Exactly. I was happy that I made it back. So I'm here because, of course, because Bitcoin is legal tender now in El Salvador. And the last week, uh, there were two conferences in San Salvador. The first was Adopting Bitcoin, which was a conference where everything actually was about the lightning network and then there was LabitConf um, and a lot of things going on in general in town about Bitcoin. So how was that for you to be here to do this educational work here for like two years or even longer and now all the Bitcoiners came to town? How was that for you? No, for for me it was overwhelming. It was it was only two years ago that we were taking some of the team members to LibitConf in Uruguay that year, oh. and we talked about at that time how you know hopefully one day we'd be able to ha see it happen in El Salvador, but we really had no. I mean, it wasn't even in our imagination that we'd be able to accomplish that in two years. So the fact that you had all these people from around the world coming in and really um, with this attitude of wanting to support what is happening here, not what they could get out of it or not for self-publicity, but really with a sense of how could they help the local people? How can they push this ahead? And of course, we're exhausted because I think there was like 40 different events going on be between the two main conferences and all the side events. And so we were being pulled in all these directions. But it's a good exhausted. You feel like, wow, there was a lot was accomplished. Yeah, cool. And um, I can remember at LapidConf, there was one day on Wednesday, which was open for the public. I find that was a great initiative because they tried to pull in people, uh, local people from here to answer questions about Bitcoin. Um, we've been going around, uh, talking with people, trying to pay our taxi or cab drivers, Uber drivers with, uh, Bitcoin. And some of them already had installed a Bitcoin wallet. Uh, many of them the Chivo wallet, but I also met a guy who had the Bitcoin Beach wallet. Um, but a lot of time there were a little bit of difficulties that we need to say that because yeah, it's yeah, a fact. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, and I wonder, you never hear who is doing the wallets actually. So Chivo Wallet is, is it an open source wallet or do you know something about that? No, it's definitely not an open source wallet. And, and to the best of my knowledge, it's a really, I think four or five different companies kind of pulled together some existing infrastructure they had and kind of cobbled it together to get it off the ground in that time frame that they had. I mean, honestly, I didn't think there would be anything. So my hat's off to them for having something up and running that, that was kind of working. Obviously, there's still a lot of work to be done, and now they, they have to kind of come back and I think and correct some of the things. A lot of it, though, is just a lack of education. The people using the Chivo wallet are creating a QR code that only works with other Chivo wallets where they can create an on-chain QR code, they can create a lightning QR code, but, but somebody has to show them how to do that. And so that's a big part of it now is the educational component. Exactly. I, I mean, it was if, even difficult for us 
from the usability aspect to find the button where you create the lightning invoice. So, and how should people here know about that if they, I mean, they don't know anything about Bitcoin. I think that's also a point. I mean, I understand in, in, you can't pull that off in three months. Nowhere. Yeah. yeah? Um, but do you think that people might be overwhelmed by that and they might then say, oh, it's not good, it's not working? I mean, I totally agree with you about the, the lightning thing. I mean, it takes like three steps to even be able to find it. And it's it's definitely not intuitive. And so I don't know if that was purposeful, if they were afraid that if they did too many lightning transactions off the bat, that it, it wouldn't work because they they didn't have confidence in the way they had it set up. Or if it was just an afterthought, like, hey, we need to throw lightning in here and that's the way it happened. But they definitely have to fix those things or it, it will lead to people being dissatisfied with it and, and not using it. And so I, I definitely have my concerns, but at the same time, I think we need to step back and look at what has been accomplished in this short amount of time and realize that, you know, even huge companies or even when the, the U.S. government tries to launch something, I mean, it takes them much longer than that and they still don't get it right. And so I think for the amount of resources and the amount of time that, you know, it, it's par for the course. Yeah, I think so too. Um, what do you think actually about the fact that Bitcoin now here is legal tender? It's the only country in the world where people, merchants, uh, are forced actually to use it. Where, what do you think about that? I mean, Bitcoin actually for me is an alternate alternative that you use voluntarily. Um, what's your opinion on that? I mean, I've had mixed feelings from the beginning on the, the, the requirement of it. I do understand the reasoning behind it. I think there was a sense of they're trying to open this network to all these people that have been kept from the banking system for all these years. And that if they don't require the established interest to do this, that they just wouldn't. And so these people would remain uh, outside the financial services and, and not be able to have access. And so I think part of that was a response to the current monopoly here by the banks and them trying to undo that. I don't know if it was the right move, but they've they've made this move. And, and to be quite honest, the, the way they've set it up, the fact that if people don't want to hold Bitcoin, they can automatically convert all the things they've given them. I don't think it's a huge ask to ask them to, you know, accept Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But it's a custodial wallet, right? So does anyone know who has the keys? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to know who has the keys. I've heard, I've heard a couple people saying, talking about uh, putting a bounty out if uh, anybody can discover who has the keys. And um, no, I think that, that those are the type of things that hopefully will become public. I, the reality is I think it was just so rushed and, and probably very messy behind the scenes. And so I can understand them wanting to be a little closed-lipped about it in the beginning, but if a year from now we're in the same situation, that's not going to be acceptable. And so I do think that Bitcoiners will have to kind of, you know, keep the pressure on when it comes to those things. But from a, a point of view of being realistic about the the size of this undertaking and and that they're running around trying to put fires out and just keep things up and running, and so I I think we need to be careful in how we approach it. Mm. And also, I mean. I think El Salvador bought like over 1,100 Bitcoin, right? I, I, yeah, it's, I think it's 1,200 now, but yeah. I could be could be wrong on that. But yeah, they've been uh, 
piling up the Bitcoin. And, and also we need, you know, the, the country should know who has the keys for exactly, that. Yeah. Because that's what's so great about Bitcoin is unlike, you know, fiat that sits in bank accounts that historically here, um, people have drained out of those accounts. With Bitcoin, you can make it public so everybody can see it. And if some goes missing, then people can ask questions. And so same same thing. I think that's going to be something that longer term that the community should put pressure on. I'm I'm hopeful that it's just the government's intention to do that. But, you know, they're trying to do a million things. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have a, a list of priorities. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where we're at in six months. Yeah. But I guess you also think uh, or share my opinion that if they manage it well, like in the next five to 10 years, it will be a huge advantage for El Salvador compared to other countries or like getting more independence from the US. Oh yeah, I mean, I think uh, if, it, if it works here, I think within a year you're going to see other countries following suit because it's going to be this huge competitive advantage if they become you know, the de facto financial center of Latin America, um, the jobs that come in, the opportunities that come in, even this bond offering that they're doing. That you know, I I predict it's going to be way oversubscribed, and they're going to be able to borrow at rates that are far lower than they've had access to in the past. And so, I think there's tons of other presidents watching and and trying to figure out, okay, when when do we jump in on this? We don't want to be definitely don't want to be the last one in. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about Bitcoin City? I I love the idea of Bitcoin City. I mean, I love thinking big about things. I love them being able to dream. I love that the president here. Uh, swings for the fences and has big ideas. I also think that, you know, you look at the history of these these type of s- projects that you're going to build a city from scratch and they, they definitely have uh, mixed, you know, results and, and they take a long time. Even the ones that are success stories take a long time to really reach that. Now, with Bitcoin, things could move faster and you could see just a natural uh, gravitation of of wealth and of uh, talent into the region anyways. And so it might be that doing it on, you know, on the, under these parameters that it happens more successfully. But it's not what I'm pinning my hopes on. I think it's more of a I, I'm guessing the president threw it out there as something big and, and, and hey, maybe some people will come behind it and put the funding to make it happen. But if not, it'll at least get more Bitcoiners in El Salvador. It'll attract more capital and it'll bring more opportunities for the people here. Mm. What I like the most actually uh, up until now from all the things that uh, the government has started here is the, the mining Uh, we were at the geothermal mining station or power station, now mining station, <laughs> uh, in a town called Berlin, which is funny because I was there with Germans. <laughs> And we saw how uh, they get energy out of the volcano, like steam and hot water, and then use the uh, dry steam uh, for powering the turbines and producing energy. And from the around 100 megawatt, they are at the moment using one megawatt uh, to mine Bitcoin. And we also saw they they opened the container for us and we saw the about 300 uh, mining um, machines that they have at the moment. Have you been there? Have you seen it? No, I'm jealous. I have not been there. So, and, and I, I want to, I want, I'm fascinated to see how, how it actually works behind the scenes. But I love the fact that they're taking this renewable energy that they have that, that a lot of times is far from where the cities are. And so it's hard to transport, but that they can use it for mining and have this kind of renewable resource, both energy, but also a financial resource that, that comes out of that. 
Exactly. I think that's the great point. They now have a natural resource that they can sell globally uh, or they can keep it for themselves to build more reserve. Exactly. It's fantastic. Yeah. So let's come a little bit more, get, get a little bit more here to the community here. Um, I think here in El Sonte live about 3,000 people. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, depending on where you draw the lines and stuff, but more or less about 3,000 people. Mm -hmm. And what would you estimate how many of those have a Bitcoin Beach wallet? I would say, you know, within the families, you know, oftentimes the family, there's only one person that has a smartphone, but I would say probably 80 to 90% of the families have a Bitcoin Beach wallet. Uh, part of that was when uh, during the, the lockdown and time we were actually using the wallet to do dispersals of um, Bitcoin to all the families just for them to be able to keep food on the table. And so um, a lot of the adoption kind of um, jumped up during that time just because we were using that. And, and it was great because you didn't, you know, at a time where people aren't allowed out of the house, it didn't matter. You could just send it mm -hmm. remotely to their wallet and they, mm -hmm. could, they could actually send it remotely to the store and have, you know, the delivery boy come by and deliver their food to them. So it worked out yeah. uh, quite well. Brilliant. And so you, you are like t teaching the people here and helping them set up the Bitcoin Beach Wallet on their phones. How, how does this work here? Do you have like regular meetups? Yeah, so we have a great local team. It's usually about 15 people. You know, some of them kind of come and go depending on their university schedule or those sorts of things. We have kind of the main full-time leaders and then a lot of uh, college-age university students that are kind of helping on their time off and they're the ones that are out there doing that so yeah they'll go out and they'll do uh, meetups in certain communities where they'll onboard you know maybe like 50 families at a time but we also have hope house here open all the time for people to come in with questions um, and the atm that's on the the other side of the the river over there we usually have somebody over there helping people At that. So we have all these different ways that people can come and, and you know, at their own pace, kind of understand things. Mm -hmm. uh, just here, I uh, understood or realized that the Bitcoin Beach wallet is actually a wallet that has shared custodianship. So that means people don't need to know their own private keys, uh, but there are like trusted members of the community who hold the keys. How does this work? Yeah, I mean, that's in a nutshell how you described it. I mean, we, we definitely are believers that people should move towards non-custodial. But specifically in developing countries, um, you know, there can be some security challenges with that. If you're living in a house that, that itself is not safe and secure, to secure private keys can be very challenging. And so... The other aspect that we've seen is just how important usability is and that some, you know, it, it's still a little bit of a challenge to use uh, a number of the non-custodial lightning wallets. And so, um, although they've gotten much better, Moon is is one of my favorites. It, it works really well. Um, we still believe there's kind of this intermediary, you know, way you can do things. And so that's the, the shared custodial where not everybody has to hold the keys, but they also know there's not one person that can, you know, do a rug pull and run off with the funds that, that are in the wallet. And so I, I really think that the way Galloway Money has set that up is, is going to be something to be followed by other communities. And I think that, you know, we'll find for different types of wallets and for different uses will have different levels of security. But I think the the shared custodial is one that um, kind of takes the best of not trusting anybody. You're not trusting any other one person, but also of it being very usable. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And how many custodians do you have? I mean, it's a multi-sig wallet, I guess. Um, is it three out of five or how many people are there? I believe right now it's five out of seven, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not sure. I haven't really been in, involved in that part. So, and I know originally it was three out of five, but I believe they've expanded it. But to be honest, I've been been on other things, so I, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly yeah. sure how that's set up. Yeah. So, what are the common obstacles for poor people to access and use Bitcoin? What have you learned here? Uh, I think one of the the obstacles is just people doubting that they could use it. I mm-hmm. think people underestimate the ingenuity of people just because they they happen to be living in poverty. A lot of times that's because of circumstances beyond their control and so I think a lot of people times people say, "Oh, we need to protect them or we need to, you know, we can't uh, you know introduce them to this. It's going to be too complicated." And so I think honestly that's the biggest hurdle is is just getting people to treat them the the same way they would want to be treated and and uh, allow them the same type of opportunities. Um, obviously like we just talked about of, of you know holding your own keys can can be challenging. There can be some challenges with the uh, the phones at time although that's a lot less prevalent than most people think. I would say probably 70 to 80% of families have a smartphone and so it's it's You hear statistics like, oh, only 30% of people have internet. That's like hard line fiber optic to your house. That doesn't count cellular internet, which is how most people in the developing world use it. And so um, I, I really don't think that uh, people living in poverty have any bigger hurdles overall than than the wealthy. I think actually they have less because they realize the current system doesn't work for them, where the wealthy feel like, hey, this all works for me right now. Why would I want to change it? Mm-hmm. Um How high are the costs for internet here? Do you know that? Like for, for Digicel mobile internet or something? So it, they vary, but a lot of times people can buy like a package where they get like unlimited for a dollar for the day. Um, but I'd say most people probably pay anywhere from $20 to $30 a month to have internet on their phone. Yeah, which is which, which is significant for the salaries mm-hmm. that they make, but but it's also crucial because you can do so many things in life. On, and so for a lot of people, it is it is the priority. They'll pay their internet bill, you know, almost before anything else. Yeah. What would you say to someone like me, for instance, who uh, has the ambition to help uh, communities in emerging countries set up something like this in a way? What, what are the What's the advice you would give? I think the key is to just go in and spending time with them and seeing, you know, how they really want to use it and and not not even listening to what they say but watching how they use it because sometimes people will tell you what they think you want to hear so watching how people use it watching where they run into issues where maybe to you it seems like oh it's obvious that from here you should go to jump to this but for them they don't know and they could get stuck and so i think it's just spending time with the people and, and listening to their feedback uh, so many people who build wallets it's it's the developers who live in a very different world than you know, the the people that they're targeting. And so I think it's important to listen to them on what features they want in a wallet and what things they find challenging in a wallet. Mm-hmm. And as far as I understand, the Bitcoin Beach wallet is open sourced, so other communities could use it as well with a, yeah, a little bit of, uh, I, de- I think, uh, adapting it like with a, another name and may- I don't know what else is possible. Yeah, I think there's lots of iterations they could do. I mean, they could just use it as is or they can, they can um, use... 
use everything kind of the behind the scenes because it is all open source and put their own you know front end on it or if they wanted to add features to they could do that but and i'm i'm not a tech person yeah. so i'm not a developer so i don't want to speak out of turn here but i know that's the vision of of nicholas and, and chris at gallery money was that this could be something that could be used anywhere in the world and and that's why they open sourced it all Do you know of people who are setting up communities like that, like Bitcoin Beach in other countries or regions? I know that there is a, a group in Peru that's, that's actually been using the same wallet. I think right now they're still using it as Bitcoin Beach, but I think they've talked about you know doing their an iteration specifically for Peru and using the Peruvian Sol as the or Sole, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but as the, the base currency um, versus the dollar is, is how we have it set up because that's the currency here in El Salvador. Um, I've heard of other people doing projects in, in Brazil, uh, Jamaica. Um, I know I'm missing some others, but I've had people reach out to me and mm -hmm. I haven't had a chance to visit any of them. So I, I, I don't want to say they're, you know, they're doing great things or, or not because I don't really know. But I hear people that are excited about these things and we definitely want to see this kind of replicated around the world. Mm-hmm. What were the questions you got most often now from the people who who were coming in uh, to El Salvador, like people like me, for instance? What What's the m most common question you get? Well, the first question I get is, well, am I going to get shot or killed when I come into El Salvador? Everybody, they come in with this obsession over the security here. And so, I don't know, have you felt unsafe at all since you've been here? No, I haven't. But to be honest, I, I heard sometimes I hear a gunshot. Uh, here in the area somewhere? I don't know what it is. Most likely it's fireworks. Uh, not, I mean, it, it could be a gunshot, but most likely it's fireworks. At it's it's fireworks. Yeah, they'll oh. set them off at all hours of the day here. It's it's Christmas <laughs> season coming, ah. and so the kids, yeah. you don't, That's my one, I don't like being here on Christmas because they literally will go all night with mm. the, the fireworks there. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's obviously El Salvador has historically had some issues, but... Specifically for tourists and stuff, I have never known. We've been here for 17 years, and I don't know anybody who's had an, an mm. issue. So it's they're definitely not targeted. And I think once you get here, those kind of concerns kind of fade away. Yeah, that's true. So I never felt insecure, but also I wouldn't go outside uh, in San Salvador alone on the streets. You know. Yeah. Well, so yeah, there are some sure. measures you need to take, but um, if you follow them, I think you're fine. Um, Yeah. So another question that you were asked very often other than... Um, no, I mean, we just have tons of people coming in and wanting to help and asking like what they can do. And, and we're trying to, as a team, you know, figure out how we can harness all the these people that, that want to help. Um, we've been pulled in a lot of different directions. And so mm -hmm. we're trying to kind of figure that out, how we can direct people. And But our encouragement is, you know... It doesn't have to come through us. Like that's what's so great about Bitcoin. It's decentralized. It can, it can come through. You know, all these other groups that are doing amazing things that we have nothing to do with. And so that's what I always tell people: don't wait for us. Go out there and do things on your own. Yeah. What are the next steps here at Hope House? I mean, you just showed me the house, like the educational area downstairs. Here's a kind of a co-working space. Can you explain a little bit? Yeah, so we really wanted Hope House to provide hope for the, the young people in this community, for them to see that they could build a future here in El Zante, that they didn't have to you know, sneak into the United States or join the gangs, but they could really build a future and, and grow a family here. And so 
Uh, our goal was to first focus on education because we find feel like that's so important. Historically, a lot of people haven't gone past like sixth, seventh, eighth grade here. And so we wanted to po- focus on education. And so we have uh, a lot of um, kind of tutoring that we do to keep people in school. We do English classes because that's for so many different opportunities. English is crucial. And then we also do computer classes. And then what really drives that is upstairs, we have a co-working space like you were talking about, and we help are helping the people here get remote jobs with American or European countries um, where they can be making a lot more than they would make here in El Salvador, but they can still stay here in El Salvador. And so they get the best of both worlds. They get a better wage and better opportunities, but they can still build a life and, and not just for themselves, but pour into the other people here in the community. We feel that's so important that people stay here. And so that's kind of what everything is focused on at Hope House is, is building a stronger community. Mm-hmm. And the people who work here also get paid in Bitcoin, I guess? Yes, yeah. The the people that, that work here, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I, I'd love to say we were able to pay them high salaries. We actually pay them less than they could make somewhere else, but they're so committed to it that, you know, they just want to be a part of it. So we've been giving them stipend in, in Bitcoin. And, you know, hopefully as more job opportunities come in, they'll be able to take some of those part time. And but yeah, everybody here is taking everything in Bitcoin. That's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they don't want dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And they can spend it everywhere in town at at every merchant. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I would say probably 90 percent of the merchants now are are accepting Bitcoin, specifically the merchants targeted to the local uh, people. People often say like, oh, yeah, that's great for for tourists and expats, where, but for the local people, it doesn't work. It's, it's actually the opposite. It's some of the bigger hotels are the ones who have, have resisted accepting it, but it's the small mom and pop stores that are all using Bitcoin. And, and that's the way I like it. I love seeing it like that. Mm-hmm. But they are not all like using Chivo Wallet, right? They do, do they have their own merchant uh, payment systems with Bitcoin? Yeah. I mean, in, in mostly in El Zante, most of the people are all using um, Bitcoin Beach or some of them are using Strike also, and they'll usually use both. Um, and then some of them will use Chivo too, but I think the majority of them are using the Bitcoin Beach wallet. Now, if you get in the outside and the other communities that, you know, most of the people were onboarded at the time the Chivo wallet was launched, you'll find it's more, you know, skewed towards the Chivo wallet. But here, I mean, people were using Bitcoin before, you know, anybody in the rest of El Salvador even had heard of it. So. Mm. There's one thing with the Chivo wallet I found interesting. I didn't know that before, that the people actually can pay gasoline for the 30 US dollars they get through Chivo wallet. So they don't even have to like uh, go to an ATM and cash it out. They can use it on air- at every petrol station, which I think is a great uh, thing. Yeah. In fact, they've been incentivizing them to use Bitcoin for that. And they give them 20 cents off a gallon. I think they made a deal with the gas station from the money they would save instead of people using credit cards and paying all the credit card fees that they would give pass on that discount to the people using it. So um, and it obviously drives adoption. If people can save 20 cents a gallon on gas, they're more likely to use Bitcoin. Yeah, that's interesting with, that you say that with the credit card because in Europe it's actually a thing that the merchant is paying the the five percent or what. I mean, I guess they uh, have it in their price, but here it was different. Like people told me, if you pay cash, you pay five percent less. Uh, if you pay with credit card, you need to pay this top like five percent extra. 
it's interesting because we don't have it's the same price in Europe then yeah you, you see you see both the bigger stores include it but the smaller stores they pass it on they're like hey pay cash or pay the extra five percent because that's mm. what it's gonna cost me so and a friend of mine from Austria did the test like he sent a hundred euros uh, from Graz in Austria to San Salvador and he went to monogram to get it and he paid like 14 percent I think for it like so I don't know maybe it was then 85 uh, uh, the value of 85 euros he got out so remittances is a big thing here right yeah people always and and, and people always criticize that and, and say like oh it's not that expensive but it's a lot of times they'll take the most ideal situation like a big amount using the the cheapest carrier but that's not what most people are using they're using what's most convenient or even what's available to them so for most people it is usually between 10 to 20 percent and this is like the poorest of the poor that this is being taken from yeah and what i also learned here is that it's actually difficult for people to go from this small village to the bigger ones where there might be a moneygram or a western union because there isn't that i mean there are, i think i think there are buses yeah they're they're buses but you know they're usually crowded and and the schedules are erratic and so it's not like they can just hop in their car and go pick it up it can you know it can eat up half their day just to go do that so now that they don't have to you know get on a hot bus you know jammed with other people they can just get it right to their phone i mean it's so much more convenient mm. Do you already have people here in the co-working space who earn Bitcoin through Lightning, like yeah. doing online work and things like the that? The majority of them are paid in Lightning, um, and, and they're all paid in Bitcoin, and I think all of them are being paid in Lightning. So, oh, cool. Very, yeah. very cool. Great. Yeah, I, I think it's funny because, you know, even though we had the, the Bitcoin world descending on El Salvador and all these people that have been in the space for, you know, a lot of them for over a, a decade or, or about there, um, I think a lot of them have actually done less Bitcoin transactions than the little kids running around here who are every day, you know, buying things with Bitcoin. I'm sure that's true because the HODL uh, meme is so big. So everybody just, I mean, if, if you say on Twitter, I bought something with, twi with Bitcoin, they tell you, why are you doing this? This is a mistake. You will be like Laszlo, how is it called? The uh -huh. guy with Bitcoin pizza. And I always say, hey, I mean, Bitcoin is made to be spent. It's made to be electronic cash and I'm so glad that lightning is now so stable that um, Bitcoin will become more and more also a medium of exchange and a monetary network because I think that's so important and you see it here every day. No, and, and I've never quite understood that mentality because I always tell them, why are you holding any cash anymore? Just hold all Bitcoin and, and you have to spend something for your daily needs. But when you're spending in Bitcoin, you really question every time, do I really need this? So it actually inspires you to be a better steward of your money when you're spending in Bitcoin. I think anybody who's holding any fiat, I think that's just silly. I mean, I try to hold everything in Bitcoin. Yeah, me too. So I spent, I exchanged two euros when I need it. And I, I became a real like hard saver. Yeah. 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 No, you question every time. You're <laughs> exactly. like, if you're spending dollars, like, oh, what's the big deal? But if you have to spend your Bitcoin, you're like, do I really need that? And so it really helps shape the way you live your life and keeps you from accumulating a bunch of junk. Yeah. Do you also have this experience? For me, it's the feeling uh, when I'm using Lightning, I spend Bitcoin more easily because it's like uh, smaller amounts. And I think it's, I also see, you know, like 
when I buy something here, I see immediately it's here and that's it, yeah. No, I feel like you feel like you're part of something. You're like giving something to somebody. You're you're sharing with somebody. And so I think it takes that. It, it feels less like you're losing your Bitcoin, but more like you're, you're spreading it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so where can people follow you and the work here? And can people also donate or do something from abroad? Yeah, so they can follow us on Bitcoin Beach on Twitter. Um, and we also, they can tip us there in Lightning and, and all the tips that go through there get put into the project. Um, for anybody who wants to donate to any, any bigger amounts or for something specific, we're, we're always open to that. We have tons of different projects going on. Um, and then we also have a website. It's just uh, BitcoinBeach.com. Um, it, it doesn't get updated uh, as frequently as it should, but Twitter, Twitter we're a little bit better about and then, of course, the best place is like you to, to come here and visit and see it for yourself. Yeah, thanks. Any other message to our listeners uh, from El Sonte to the world? I would just uh, encourage people to realize that, you know, we, we were the last people that you would have thought would have been able to like spearhead this project. <laughs> I mean, you, you've seen me. I'm not a tech person and, and we have a crew. A lot of them, you know, didn't even go through high school, but if if we could do that in El Salvador of all places, like this is something that can level the playing field for people anywhere in the world. We just need people willing to go out there and and take a risk and, and push it forward. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks to you and the team and for pulling that off and all the best for the future. Well, thank you. And thank you especially for bringing all those copies of your amazing book. Oh, yeah. If you have not read uh, Anita's <laughs> book. here. You, you definitely have to, to check it out. I, I was privileged to be able to read one of the early copies and, and, and help do a little of the, the pre-read on it. And so I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. Yeah, thank you very much. It's available in Spanish now. And uh, you actually um, incentivized me, or how shall I say, motivated me also to do it in Spanish and to do it on time so that I can bring it here because I had to like carry it in my uh, bag because uh, Amazon doesn't deliver here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, and I'm I'm sure it will be put to good use. Oh yeah, those will be put to very good use. And so. I love to being able to uh, contribute. Uh, basically, these books were. Uh, donated by Bitcoin Austria. Well, th uh, thank you, Bitcoin Austria, then. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Mike. Bye. All right. Bye. That was it. Thank you very much for watching. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Po Show.